Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. Welcome to Leaving Hillsong. My name's Tanya and I'm super excited to welcome you to part three of By the Door of the Ear, which has been our deep dive into the construction and deconstruction, as it were, of Hillsong music, its framework, its course, its tracks, and Scott and Kat have both contributed hugely to explaining how this machine works because it is oh so successful and permeates such a range of environments in the world. Now these guys are a young working couple and they have a small child so their time has been limited and we sat down on a, a few occasions and this was the third 
And we'd already discussed, if you haven't heard already, parts one and two, we really looked at the music and how it is set up in order to affect an outcome, in order to, you know, create a mood, create an atmosphere and, you know, get people's hands in their wallets. And I started asking them, uh, as you'll hear, about how, what it's like to be on stage, what it's like to be the person dispensing that kind of emotion. And we had a chat about that for a while and we moved on to, you know, various states of fear and stress that the musicians are under and, and what it's like for them. And we got chatting some more and and Scott started um, Scott started talking about events at youth group and it's here that I'm going to give you a bit of a trigger warning. I mean, we've talked before, say, on the episode called The Economy of Souls. Sean Nemorin spoke about his experiences of hazing at Hillsong Youth, the group sexual abuse that takes place as the leaders bust down boundaries and get kids to do things that are completely inappropriate. So some of that's going to come up at uh, the end of this episode. I even thought about splitting it in two, but it flows so well that, you know, I guess we also have to look at at the reality of this because the events that Scott describes and heads up, you know, there's inappropriate sexual behaviour, physical abuse, lack of duty of care, just there must be thousands, tens of thousands of young people that have been in and out of these services and have been affected by this culture and dynamic. So big old warning, heads up. We have quite an elegant conversation. It's lovely. It's passionate. I love the honesty, vulnerability and passion of these two. And Scott has gone out on a limb and, and, you know, described abuses that took place. So after about 30 minutes in here, if, if that's not your cup of tea today, you know, press pause and come back if you want later on. Something else I wanted to mention is I've become quite aware that people or some people feel quite compelled to tell their story as if speaking out is kind of the next kind of evangelism and they feel really bad if they're not speaking out due to whatever reasons, fear or relationships or they're just not ready but they feel guilty about that and I'm just here to say don't feel guilty about that. There's a difference between not reporting, you know, crimes, abuses to authorities and not giving your testimony. You don't have to, you don't have to preach it if you're not ready. In fact, it could be incredibly counterproductive. So if you are ready to share, by all means, get in touch. Love it. We love the personal accounts. But yeah, there's no feeling bad for not doing enough around here. So you know what to do. Get your snacks, your coloured popcorns and cornettos and, you know, golden day times and settle in for a really incredible conversation. There's so much here. I wouldn't even know where to begin, but uh, take care while you're listening. Scott really opens his heart and, uh, yeah, there's lots. Enjoy. By the Door of the Ear, part three. It's Scott and Kat. So we left off last time talking about 
how a service is staged and presented to people in light of the fact that, you know, a lot of people go to a church like Hillsong or to Hillsong because of the fantastic music and they're really drawn to that and it is high quality, you know, internationally famous. But it's also, you know, I, I was talking to you, Scott, like during the week about the way they can use music to infiltrate anywhere because um, it's just yeah. music and it's just, you know, gospel music. What could be what could be wrong with that? And yet, yeah, from your experiences, it's it's not as kind of simple and pure as all that you were saying. So, I mean, tell me, tell me what you can about how this thing is designed and how you know everybody knows music causes emotions. That's that's fair enough. But mm. you know, to what extent do they manipulate what they say? Uh, uh, you know, with the music. Tell me, tell me how it starts, where it goes. Yeah. Well, I, I don't think it's I, not to say that the people who are producing the music aren't lovers of music themselves. I think a lot of them really love music. And, and in fact, I think that's part of the appeal of being at Hillsong as a music lover, which would by far is, is that it really does appeal to that sensibility. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people struggle to leave the church because they're like, well, how am I going to find somewhere with as good a music? And the truth is you want it. Like there, there really isn't another church that can compare like i remember going to c3 in the northern beaches and like you know by by most you know everyday church standard the quality of the music that they have there is exceptional as well but it's nowhere near as good as what hillsong was and i just remember going there as a teenager being like what is this (laughs) who do these people think they are (laughs) like being quite and we we definitely saw ourselves as superior i would say even planet shakers things like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. So um, well, the proof is in the pudding, isn't it? I mean, it's it's they've got the millions of sales and the yeah. Internet. All you have to do is but, do that royalty statement. <laughs> that's in the well, that too. Yeah, just to see how widespread it is, like how much their music's getting played by churches and, everywhere. You know? Yeah, you just don't see, you know, planet shakers at the Grammys and stuff. Like it's full on. Yeah. 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 So, but I think, you know, like we were talking about how the, the music is amazing and uplifting and, you know, it, it really does elevate your emotions as you sing it. A lot of the songs are pitched in keys that mean that you do have to sing very loudly in order to hit the notes, yeah. especially a lot of the male keys are like that. Um, and that means like when you sing like that, you do trigger a release of, of I don't know, I mean, I'm not a... A psychologist or anything but i know that it definitely releases like pleasure you know uh, mm. chemicals into your body like you feel amazing when you sing like that that's why everybody loves going to big concerts and stuff or well, most people do you know so the thing about that music is that it it is giving you this incredibly heightened emotional state and in that state you are more open to suggestion you are more open and receptive to the messages. They're absolutely right about that. That's what we would, you know, that's the whole purpose of putting it right at the top of the service is starting lifting people's emotions so that they can be receptive to the word of God in inverted commas, but it also makes them receptive to other things as well. And especially in youth where music plays a huge part in the youth ministry, 
that can be used in very manipulative ways by people. I don't think they're thinking of themselves as being manipulative as per usual. Like, I mean, that's the caveat. I don't think a lot of them think that way. I think there's definitely some pastors that think that way. <laughs> but I, I, I think that they genuinely see themselves as like opening up or like preparing. We used to talk about preparing the um yeah preparing hearts but like the image that i think that was once sold to us by julia was like preparing for the king's arrival or like Mm -hmm. you know like it was a julia bell thing clearly but like you know preparing the way for 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 god to come announcing his his arrival in a way but you know i think that, that what that means is that when they then say things that are damaging that are problematic that you know there are a lot of people who are emotionally primed to be sucked into that you know you're emotionally primed and vulnerable and then they go and ask you for money straight away you know Mm. whatever they feel about it it is manipulative you know you are manipulating people's emotions and putting them in a vulnerable position and then asking them for cash (laughs) i i don't know do you have anything else to add to that i mean kat you've seen this take place watched it over time or is there like a I've I've definitely had like mystical experiences in like heightened moments of worship, you know, and I would say that's quite common, probably. Okay. That went there for a long time. Mm. You know, I I would have considered those like quite life changing experiences at the time. Okay, because that's interesting. People do talk about these things having happened. Mm. Yeah. In or close to the event. Did did you see that from stage? Did you sort of see, like, you know, how many times you were singing, 15 times a week or something? Like, did, do you see it go up and go down and the people start to cry or, like, how does that, sorry. Um, yeah. That's I, I wonder more, I'm more cynical from these pastors, sorry, from these pastors' perspective because surely they watch the same thing everywhere they go. They laugh at the joke. They cry at the sad childhood story. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's a good point, actually, because if I think of did I ever feel the same way on the actual stage as I did at some times in the congregation, and I would say the answer is largely no. That's partly because if I'm playing, I'm, I'm thinking more just sort of as a practitioner in a way. But then also there are certain things about the Hillsong Bench <laughs> that do kind of dry it out for the people that are playing so for example you've got a music director they would call it who is literally speaking to you instructions in your ears like during the 20 minute worship set so that's enough to sort of snap you out of (laughs) what what are they saying oh you know they'll be saying like oh and next we're gonna go to the chorus and uh, oh. we may repeat the bridge here i'm assuming it's an american talking to me in the headphones but it's not really well i don't know like to have someone talking to you like that just makes you feel like you're a lemming in a way you know you're just, just following instructions that's what i was saying last time yeah. about how the the way the band is set up, it's not set up for sort of, you know, like how a professional ensemble would play. It's set up to enable like people with a very diverse range of skills to be able to play together. Yeah, that's one aspect of it is the fact that someone's talking in your ears the whole time. 
I will say from a vocalist perspective, 100% was was immersed in the singing and the leading. But I think that's because I always saw myself as a as a conduit or a vessel for the emotions of the congregation. Okay. And for me, when I was leading them, I wasn't just leading them in a song. I was leading their emotional response to the song. And so that meant that when I sung, I would sing with varying degrees of passion and enthusiasm I don't know if the other vocalists were like that, but I, I mean, I certainly resonated with, there was a big, you know, when Bethel Music started doing their thing and they were all about, you know, the Shandalas and the Holy Spirit and stuff. I think that was quite a profound impact for me. Like I remember, you know, how like he loves when that, when the, the Bethel version of that went out, like that kind of totally transformed the way I did worship in that I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to let my emotions out. I'm just going to, I'm going to sing through everything that I feel on stage. And I don't know how healthy that was. I feel like from that point, I possibly started treating the singing as a bit of therapy. But, you know, like when I was doing it on stage, there was a little bit of that, but, you know, you're still kind of applying a craft to it. But, you know, I, I mean, I feed off the energy of the audience as well, personally, if the audience, sorry, audience, <laughs> this is me talking as a, as a performer, but wow. um, I feed off you know they are an audience (laughs) if they're responding then i'll respond as well if they're not responding maybe i'll be a little less sort of emotionally invested in what's happening but i'll be trying to get them emotionally invested it's a bit of a dance we always talked about thermometers versus thermostats are you a thermometer or a thermostat do you measure the temperature or do you set the temperature Uh, so we always wanted to be thermostats we always wanted to be the one setting the temperature but you know that's a hard thing and and like the thing that i've learned through years of actually rigorous performing is that there needs to be a level of disengagement you can't be emotionally invested every time you do something every time you do a performance because it's a it's not healthy it's not a healthy way to operate you know like if i'm doing six shows a week and the shows are reasonably intense I need to be able to perform emotion but not necessarily feel that and mm. internalise that emotion, if that makes any sense, because otherwise that, that's just a surefire way to psychologically burn out. Yeah, well, so, yeah, you would yeah, never so, yeah. Yeah, I feel like I definitely was heightened emotions when I was leading from the platform. But then, again, I was a vocalist and Kat's a musician. I think there was always a bit of a gulf between yeah, the musicians and the vocalists mm-hmm. in terms of what we did. I mean, actually, like, I, w- I mean, I would say I was taken up by, like, a few moments, like, while playing on the stage. But, uh, you know, in general, it was more just kind of following instructions a lot of the time. I did kind of feel like the vocalists, from my point of view, seemed to be much more sort of in it, like, you know, and with the congregation in it. Like, even, for example, because you're wearing these headphones which cancel out all other sound, you can actually choose how much of the the room, because they have microphones okay. in the room picking up the sound of the congregation. You can choose how much of what they would call the ambient sound is going into your headphones. And I would generally choose to have barely any of it, because especially on violin, if I was playing, if I had the ambient sound, I couldn't really hear my instrument. So that meant I didn't really have any idea what the congregation was doing. I may as well have just been us by ourselves on the stage from what I could hear in my headphones, put it that way. Yeah. 
Yeah. But there, there was definitely a big push in some of our later years while we were there to get the band engaging with the congregation and looking up more because they noticed that you guys weren't yeah, that's true. really doing any of that engagement that we yeah. were. You know, so I think that they wanted more crowd engagement. But, I mean, yeah. like, we're just, you know, I mean, we're ultimately talking technical. I, I mean, maybe the point of saying all of this is just to show how technical the whole thing actually is, that there's this weird dance that we're both doing together. Very technical, yeah. Yeah. I mean, even when we're jumping up and down to the, the fast songs and, like, they're dropping beats or whatever they're doing these days with tracks and you're jumping up and down and going crazy on stage, even then there's a craft to that, you know, there's a balance that you have to keep. You can't just go completely bonkers. Like you have to stay connected to the crowd and leading the crowd. And then there's levels that you can, like, you can go really like, go to town, break a bone or whatever at 7 p.m. service on a Sunday night. But <laughs> if you did that in the morning at like at a, at a 10.30 yeah. service, that would be weird. Like it would just be super weird. So you have to like temper how you how you perform, you know. So there, there are all of these things. It's not just free and easy. Like there's a skill to it for sure. So a, a lot of what people do want to know are the magic tricks. Like what? Of like, what do you do to get people to feel a certain way? Neither of us were music directors or really prominently worship leaders at any point. But for the most part, the tricks are like you you ensure that there's a, a good sort of balance of, of songs so that there's a journey across all of the songs as well as journeys within the songs themselves. Dynamics are really important for that. You know, the elevated moments, you want the elevated moments to be a payoff. So, like, if there's a big bridge, for instance, that opens up like a bridge in a song, it's a good example of a, of a bridge from, like... Love a bridge. <laughs> I'm trying to think of, like, a recent song <laughs> yeah, so that I don't sound old. like... I'm yeah, I'm just going to sound like a total, like, old guy. Wow. But, like, the one that I always thought of was, like, The Stand. Well, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, too. I know, because it's the classic one, right? where it opens up into the bridge, which is the I'll stand with arms high, that one, heart abandoned. That there, you don't want to just crash into that. That's a payoff. You're like, okay, I get it, yes. You're building to that yes. moment. And it's in some ways it's like it's like those bridges are to talk, I don't know, is this too crude? But they're kind of like orgasmic. Like that's the point. It's like you're building toward yeah. that. So like I think it's thinking about it like that because you're, if you just go in with all of those big, high energy, elevated moments the whole way through, there's not enough contrast for the crowd to like feel those emotions, if that makes any sense. I remember when Lindsay Duncan said on his interview, when he was talking, someone had come to him, he's a psychologist, and said actually that they had responded in an orgasmic way to the music. And I'll never forget, Lindsay said, the body can only respond in a certain number of ways. So, you know, there's only so many strings you can pull. Mm -hmm. yeah. And they're powerful, those musical ones. It's so, yeah. Yeah. It totally it makes sense. Too, like they're dimming the lights at that point, you know, in the song too. And then they might have just like like a spotlight on the person singing at the bridge and then they'll bring all the lights up too. So you, you kind of, your body would feel like it needs to respond to the full picture of what's going on. The, the whole production of it, you know, the yeah. music and the light. So 
How is this different though from any, how's it different from any show? Any kind of well-produced show, what's wrong with this? Why wouldn't they make music like this? This is how. They've studied, that's exactly right. They've studied how the good musicians Mm -hmm. do things and copied it essentially but it's a very particular like the thing is is that it does work to like elevate those emotions to bring that from the crowds but to reduce music to reduce art and songwriting to that is where i start taking issue because as soon as as an, an art form or a musical form doesn't follow that structure we we feel estranged from that, I guess. Like it's like we were talking about the the idea of classical music as this very, you know, say like rebellious kind of thing to enjoy within the evangelical movement because it's music that appeals to a different sensibility or a bit different part of you. We need different tools to engage with it, really. Yeah. I like ended up in a conversation between like core Hillsong songwriters and a couple of classical musicians and we're all sitting around at Waterloo McDonald's and the the songwriters are arguing that there is nothing better, it doesn't matter how good the greatest classical composers were, none of the music that they could ever write would compare to a Coldplay anthem done at a concert, uh, like at a big stadium event. Because Mozart's music could never elevate the emotions the way that like fix you is able to do that, yeah. right? Yeah. And, like, obviously this is, this is showing how long ago this this conversation happened. But I do remember that very distinctly because I was like, oh, it's interesting how they literally see it as a binary. Like, the the way that these songwriters saw it was, like, I know a bunch of Hillsong songwriters. They love things like jazz, like jazz and classical. It's not like they don't love those things. Mm. But within a church context, we don't see room for that because it doesn't manipulate the emotion, you know? It it appeals to something different and we don't know how we don't know how to understand that it's why theater has never really had a place in the church because and when it does it's it's you know it's tacky and awful right because we don't have any way of understanding art outside of propaganda and i think i know it's a spicy take but like i think that's an interesting because i'm thinking sorry because i am thinking the classical music obviously revs up emotions in people but why not in this context kind of thing continue yeah i mean yeah of course it does like some of the greatest most emotional pieces ever composed are (laughs) classical works but i think the the simplicity in terms of like the way that the you know the, the emotional the music of hillsong appeals to the emotions but it does so in order to communicate or to, yeah, to communicate a singular message. Which is? Um, which is about, the. I guess they would say it's the gospel. I, mm. I, I don't know if I fully agree with that being the gospel anymore. Like, <laughs> Scott isn't entirely sure that that's correct. But, you know, it's it's the Bible at least, you know, like they're trying to communicate the the messages as they've interpreted the bible through these songs and trying to emotionally drive those messages into you you know it's not a place of long attention span either which you you need some other forms of music so yeah i mean it leaves you vibrating after it like a big conference Mm -hmm. closing night 
you walk out of that that space and your body vibrates it's like the music is in you but then the next day the next day it doesn't feel like that and the day after that it doesn't feel like that and they know that because they constantly talk about how like oh you can't survive on the hype of the event but then hillsong is event world like you go from one event to the next because they yeah the whole calendar is what's the next event totally appears and if you behind instagram like it's a just one big marketing campaign with different events, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's event well. Yeah, because they're all aware that there's there's no way that that sustains. It's not praxis as a Christian. Like it's not it's not day to day living. It's a big emotional event. It's propaganda, and it mm. all it serves to do is to keep you coming back, <laughs> which is exactly what I like to come back to how we started this conversation. This is the this is the thing a lot of people we know say like how would I and we've said this how would we ever find a church where the music is as good so we keep coming back even though we have so many problems but can't they download it and get like a really good stereo at home or is it it's got to be more than that it's got to be that that group environment as well it's That's, the full productions so, mm. yeah and and being in the room for sure yeah yeah makes a lot of sense why they want you to keep buying the music and buying their resources to reinforce the message during the week yeah yeah but i mean i would what i would also say is that since i have left hillsong i've not felt that same emotional high like it's actually left me quite numb yeah i was wondering what i mean how do you go from being on stage and leading people's emotions to nothing it's it's funny it's a big emotional crash you know you know you you're surviving, you're emotionally surviving on it, but you're not surviving because I was very mentally unwell because my my emotions are always oscillating between these extreme events of mm-hmm. singing loudly in a crowd three times a week, crashing down to earth with the, my my own struggles with mental illness. And, and oscillating between those two polarities is, is very hard. And I, I think it just makes you, I think it, what it does is it, I don't know, it's going to sound weird, but I feel like I was addicted to those moments. Of course. And then, course. yeah. What, and what then, would you say? No, like, it's it's incredible. And being in front of a crowd is addictive, you know. Mm. If it's the sort of thing that you like, which I do, it's it's addictive. It's it's the sort of thing you just want to get more, you want to be more and more and more in front of people. Oh, I was just thinking um, for myself personally, since stopping going to Hillsong, I've gotten much more creative with my own musical sort of practice, creative practice. And really the only time I've been comparably as creative as now is before I went to Hillsong when I was sort of in my late teens as well. So that's just an interesting sort of tidbit. I don't think I can necessarily blame Hillsong for this, but because you get swept up in it, you're not really doing your own work as much you know if you are a musician like if you're if you're a practicing musician outside of the church context chances are because you're there so much you're probably not really focusing on your own practice that often I mean that's across the board hey with people there yeah so that's certainly my experience like now I'm kind of rediscovering what kind of musician I am because I'm not under the influence of Hillsong so much you know yeah I think I only ever knew myself as a Hillsong singer 
Mm. I started singing a Hillsong. Mm. It's the only context I ever had for. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. And when people ask me, you know, what else do you do with singing outside? A lot of people thought I did musical theatre and I, I never did musical theatre. It was never an interest to me. And I used to be very pious about it. And I'd say things like, my voice is for God, which <laughs> is... Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mad, but I was like, oh, you know, I only sing at church and I'm very happy doing that. And, I, you know, I, that wasn't a lie. Like I, I genuinely was very happy just being a church vocalist. But I think more since I've left, I feel the absence of not singing as much. You know, 20 years of regularly doing it, it feels like it's a part of your identity. So I do kind of feel a little bit like I've severed this very core part of how I understood myself. Um, I've been doing a little bit of music with Kat and that's been really wonderful because Kat's quite an, quite an incredible musician and, and writer herself. So she's been bringing me, me into her projects, which is nice. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like when we got in the recording studio the other day for this uh, album that Kat's been recording, I, I and, and I was there in the studio, I was like, you know, like we used to, I did go into the studio a number of times and do recordings and stuff at church. It was like, you know, like the last time I was doing anything in the studio was a church recording and like, yeah. So it's interesting recontextualizing all of that mm. with the new, I guess, the new me. <laughs> yeah, kind of claiming it back in a way. Wonderful. I like it. I like it. I think that grows and grows for people over time. It's been it's been such a short time since you guys left. I mean, you left kind of separate times, so you know. But yeah, but for you, Scott, what was that? Sorry, what year was it? Twenty. Twenty nineteen. Yeah. It is, it is amazing from within the team how much the work that other artists do outside of the church is devalued. Like Ignored. Ignored, devalued, um, sort of not relevant to, like, it's like every, every other creative endeavour you do outside of the team is, is non-existent. You know, and I, I do remember actually Brian having a go at one musician who had left to go to Nashville to pursue her own career I won't name names, but I remember that she had written a few quite big songs at church 
and they're probably still getting the royalties from yeah yeah and they were great songs too she's a good songwriter she's like oh you know what i could have a career being a, a soloist doing my own work and so she went to pursue her own career and i remember brian getting up at our team night like a our kind of collective team night across hills and city and basically saying you think that this gift is yours but it's not it belongs Ooh. to the church Ooh. and if you think that you can just take the blessing and the favor you've received as a church musician and apply it outside of the church you're wrong the reason that you are successful is because of the church so don't try and go and do anything else but nothing to do with god you've not mentioned god in that statement <laughs> uh, didn't he say the anointing is on this house yeah the anointing is on this house was what he said. And but, we but, all knew what he was talking about because he was clearly angry that she had left. Um, but, but but do you know what I mean? It's not about God. It's not like you've been given this gift of the super, you know, it's the church. We interned you. Do you know what I mean? We paid you. You're not going to take these skills and, and leave me. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, no. It's very um, it's mafioso, you know, like it's the Don mm-hmm. kind of being like you think you can... <laughs> Just walk away. Well, you know, I'm I'm taking away the blessing. <laughs> it's quite psychopathic. Well, yeah, because then obviously touch not the Lord's anointed means the whole church in his mind as yeah. well. Yeah. It's yeah. an anointed thing. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. But yeah, like I, I don't think, you know, as far as my work went outside the church, like I was doing theatre all the time. Not a single person ever turned up to see one of my shows. Uh, uh, yeah. You know? And when people would ask me how it was going, they'd always say, oh, hey, how's the music theatre going? Even though I'd very clearly told a lot of people, I don't do music theatre. I do something completely different. But nobody really cared. It was just about, you know, coming and doing the Sunday service. And I don't think I ever talked about my work outside of church, within church. It felt like something completely separate from from what I did in my day-to-day life. And I don't remember anybody sort of taking an interest in your your work either while we were there. I don't know if you had... A different experience but oh sometimes people would introduce me as like oh that's this great musician does all this other stuff mm. da, 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 da. and then she's here too sort of thing like so people would kind of mention it but but that's as a kind of a trophy yeah exactly yeah more like look we've like managed to ring in this person <laughs> that, i mean that's quite consistent now uh yeah but people's study people's other jobs really anything that isn't you know, useful is devalued and disregarded and yeah, downplayed and, and discouraged. Uh. Yeah, you're right. It's that trophy. It's almost that trophy thing because they used to say things like, oh, well, this guy here, he's the CEO of a company, but on the weekends he comes and serves on the door. Mm-hmm. And it's like almost like this, hey, look at how the, we are, you know, it very much is like look how powerful we are in some ways. I don't, totally. you know, I know that. That's maybe not how they intend it, but sometimes it reads like that. Like, you know, look at how great we are. Even the CEO of this multi-million dollar company, you know, comes and and does door team, door ministry, (laughs) or whatever it was, welcome team, Mm. you know. Yeah. So how do you, I mean, how do you manage it? Because it's only sort of nearly four years. How are you sitting here, both of you chatting away, like openly, and you did a TV interview the other day because the issue of the college had come up and you guys spoke to that on channel seven how come you know as you know that it can take people 
that seven seems to be the magic number that keeps coming up. Seven seems to be a minimum, but often it's 15 or 20 or 30. And yeah, makes you special. How come you're speaking so freely? Um, I don't know. I don't feel like emotionally invested in anything to do with it anymore, personally. Like, I feel quite neutral now. I feel like I can almost mm-hmm. be a neutral commentator. <laughs> because I feel like because we left prior to really any of the most outrageous things coming into public knowledge, we were already sort of able to sort of observe that as outsiders. I think it would be different if we had still been there, you know, from the Carl Lentz controversy onwards. That's just my thought. Do you agree, Scott? Yeah, maybe. I think I'm, it's hard. Like I was talking to a work colleague about this today because she saw the TV interview and kind of asked me about it. And I was like, oh, you know, like this is a big box to be opening up and I, I think we'll be here all day talking if you really want to know everything that happened. But I think I realised like my coming of age was framed by Hillsong. My 20s was framed by Hillsong mm-hmm. and my 30s was almost framed by it. And I, I just think I need... I need to understand it and I, I don't know if, like, I mean, maybe I should be doing all of this in therapy or whatever but with a therapist, but I feel like I I could and I probably should still do it, <laughs> but I I don't know. I, I, I want to be a part of this conversation. I own mm-hmm. this. It's a part mm-hmm. of me and I refuse to let, I, I won't be, I won't be shamed into being quiet about it. I think it's caused me a lot of grief, just the stuff that went on in the background especially all the stuff regarding my queerness. I feel like there are certain parts of my life that were so absorbed by the Hillsong bubble that I didn't even get to discover parts of myself until I was able to let go of that. And quite honestly, I'm angry, you know. I'm I'm one of those angry, bitter people that leave. But you know what? Like, it's okay to be angry and bitter, and I I'm, I'm, want to use that because... I think, you know, uh, you know, WWJD, right? <laughs> Go and flip I'm, some tables. I'm, from you. I, I'm just not getting bitter from you, and that's uh, the language of Brian every single time. So, but you know, it really is, and yeah. it's a harsh, it's a harsh accusation because it's just thrown around, you know, every time someone disagrees. But but angry is an interesting one because yeah, some people would discourage it, but it's it's such a I don't know it's such an important place to be I think and and what they've done particularly like you know on personal levels to people on a mass level how could you not be angry yeah Um, they've hurt so many of the people that I care about and it was all done in the quiet it was all done in the background and then people were gas lit into being quiet and all of these people are liars these pastors and these leaders they just get up there and they lie, they bold-faced lie, they look down the barrel of the camera and they just they just tell the most grandiose, disgusting lies, they belittle people, they talk people down, they make themselves the centre of the universe. You know, like I'm, I'm angry enough that I, at this point, I think the best thing is for Hillsong Church to die. It needs to end. And I, I want to be a part of that. I want to, <laughs> you know, like they're going to get up there on the weekend and say these people just want to tear the church down. And you know what? 
I do. But when I say the church, I'm not talking about the, the congregants. Yeah. I want yeah. the congregants to go and find healthy places to express their spirituality, to express who they are as Christians, whatever they believe. You know, I'm not even critical of that. Like they can go and explore that for themselves. But I want the leadership. I want the structures of Hillsong to fall. I want the assets to be sold off. I want the money to go someplace where it can actually do some good. And I want people like Phil and Brian and Robert and all the other people who are putting their face on the defence for Hillsong, I want them to disappear and I want to never see them again. <laughs> that That is my dream. <laughs> you know, I think people, you know, I think I don't think I'm the only person and I think lots of people, especially, you know, we talk about Hillsong College students not wanting to stand up and say anything because they're afraid and, like, you know, you're right, more people need to come out and just be like, yeah, I'm angry and it's okay to be angry, you know, and sure, there are points where I benefited from being a part of Hillsong, especially in like various leadership roles and whatever, obviously voluntary leadership roles. So I didn't have access to the church card, unfortunately. But, you know, like the the fact is, is that like on the whole, I, I don't think I'm better off for my time there. And I think we've done a great deal of harm to Christendom, to, uh, you know, to society generally, I just don't think we've brought goodness into the world. Scott, um, you were 13. You were 13. And yeah. what I was reading about gangs and why you, particularly young boys join gangs and it's about, uh, you know, a family, a sense of belonging. There is some kind of status attached, but, you know, there's a fa- it's a family thing. So it's almost like, you know, you were recruited into a gang and here you are and, of course, you're angry. You were a child yeah exactly exactly and and they took the liberties of like you say framing your teens and framing your 20s and then what they don't want to take any responsibility for it it's yeah and then and then you're bitter and angry when you yeah you start to think about that and you think actually that was wrong what they did you know i just remember like being i was i've always been a small kid too like i'm not like like I was a small kid I, amongst very, very tall people. <laughs> but, you know, like I remember having Nick Carroyer and his thugs like just get super angry at me for being in the wrong place at the wrong time. I remember like having the, the looks from pastors and the, you know, the feelings of, of like you're taking up space and like the belittling and the, Ooh. you know, like I talked to you about, you know, being in a tribal war and having my, like, all the skin on my my left arm torn, like, burnt, right? Like, I got proper, like... What's a tribal degree. war? Sorry? Oh, tribal wars were, like, at youth, they, they have these big kind of games that they play every week, and the games... For ages. It's... Like, two hours before the church service. Oh, oh no, okay. it's during. The tribal wars are during. During the service? Uh, during service, yeah, in the middle of the service, they'll, like... Have and they've got classic like tribal war games like, you know, Job's Boil, which is like a big, mm-hmm. a big pile of like mattresses and chairs and stuff that are piled on top of each other with a balloon hanging from the ceiling, and you have to climb up the top and pop the balloon. And you know there are four teams trying mm-hmm. to do it. It's kind of like a capture the flag on a hill. But you know I do remember getting caught underneath like a pile of bodies and dragged across the room and ending up with like proper burns all up and down my arm from the carpet in the second auditorium um i've still got scars all over my arm from it you know and what um, did, did they show you what kind of response did you get 
Oh, none. <laughs> no, you don't get a response, right? Or you, I didn't you know, get a... Cat's holding up a big old zero with her hands. <laughs> yeah. What, so, I mean, did first aid? Tell me you got some first aid. No, no. Of course not. No, no, there was no first aid for that. What? Um, yeah. People are sending their children to do these. I mean, you could have fallen off the mattresses and broken a bone. The broken yeah. bone thing seems like a metaphor, not a not a joke. <laughs> oh, the, um, the ambulance came a number of times while we were doing these things. Like the what? trouble was really problematic. <laughs> what? You know, we even... Didn't they get people to swallow a fish one other time? Oh, yeah, no, there was lots of like animal abuse. What? Yeah. Sorry? <laughs> we've opened up another oh this is like sorry this is the, bo- the, the box of craziness that is my time yes, in Hillsong yes, Youth no I'm there were things like playing ch- playing chicken soccer where a live chicken was brought <gasps> up and they oh. set up two goal posts and you had what? to chase the, you had chase to chase the chicken. I thought you were going to kick the chicken okay well I mean we, there was an animal like because it was animal night at youth for whatever reason there was this person that was brought in a snake and she was horrified by the way that we were treating these chickens yeah. um i say we but you know leaders yeah there was like <laughs> i remember when uh the upper administration said we weren't allowed to do any more drag they banned drag which i think is very topical <laughs> so, like, it's trans day of visibility today yeah i know the um, point is that the you know yes like as you said scott was a child coming in at 13 <laughs> And this I mean, is what they're doing with the kids, like, you know. This is how they get them in at the start. I don't know. And, and parent, well, parents leave their children there with a complete assumption that they'd be looked after by the church and the leaders, no? I mean, and, and, yeah, well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, we were, there was all sorts of stuff happening, like nudie runs involving leaders, like minors and, and you know, adults, Um um, did you yeah. want to uh, put us in a context there, please? Where was this happening? Well, this wasn't happening at youth no, during the service. It was pretty mm-hmm. frequent around the services. So whether what? that was at a connect group or parties or whatever, there was a lot of like nudie. Nudie runs were really the thing. I don't know if they um, they ever that ever changed, but I thought it was what? just something that all young people did. Apparently, that's not a not necessarily <laughs> a thing. Um, uh- uh, how does this uh, how does this kick off? So hang on, I'm a connect group. I'm I'm guessing it's not a girl thing. I, Please tell me it's not. I, a girl. I didn't go to youth as a young girl, so it was definitely primarily with the boys. I can't say whether the girls were doing it, but I know that like it used to happen at pretty much every party I went to for a period of about two years, and I, um, being queer, always felt very uncomfortable with it because I was like. I, you know, as a queer person, you just don't know what's going to happen. So, like, I was like, well, I'm just going to stick around with the girls and I'll let the boys go and do their things. But there were, you know, there were a few times where, you know, the, the like, it's one thing if it's a bunch of, and, like, I'm not condoning it, but, like, it's one thing if it's a bunch of, you know, 14-year-old boys doing it together. It's another thing when it's a bunch of 14-year-old boys and their 21 and 22-year-old leaders who are also uh-huh. doing it with them. And that did happen on a number of occasions, although I was not involved in any of that. I do know it happened. And it was a slap on the wrist and then everybody kept going. Who instigated? Um, I'm, I'm well, unsure. How did this culture start to begin with? Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. what's happening? So, like, they just were like, let's go. I don't even like the name Nudie Run because it sounds kind of cute. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's just good yeah. fun. Yeah. Well, it was like, yeah, it was like, let's go and do it. Everybody goes down to the park. They take off their clothes and they run across the park. That was the that was what it was. Okay. 
I remember my mum being like, this is how I discovered the word homoerotic. Mum was like, don't you think that's a bit homoerotic? And I was like, <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, now that you mention it, it probably is. <laughs> I mean, it's so camp. Um, Let's be honest. It's so camp. Have you ever been to a Christmas Spectacular? It's the campest thing. Oh. <laughs> I, I, and like, and you know, like some of my uh, learned colleagues, they were saying, "Oh, look at this preacher here," or "Did you know that?" And I'll go, "But he's gay," and it, like, and I, I don't care. But the the preacher's gay, and then and it happens all the time. I go, "I don't know him, but he's gay." Um, <laughs> um, goodness me! And wow, yes, yeah. Um, yeah, youth is its own its own thing. We could talk about for hours but yeah but all all to say all of this this is happening you just internalize it all you don't really question it and now i'm like actually you know what all of this this wasn't right this shouldn't have happened and to what extent that's sort of criminal and particularly the lack of duty of care and i mean come on what the kids got burns and you don't yeah, give them exactly. a bit of antiseptic better doing something what well, <laughs> nobody nobody's looking after you nobody's looking out for you like there's as You're in a sea of people, a crowd, you know. You may as well be at Big Day Out Festival. Okay. Yeah, it is. It's like that. It's like you've been, like, it's like going to a festival. I mean, like, there was no duty of care because there was nobody caring. Like, the pastors are there to be. Run the event. To run the event and be, spe <laughs> you know, a spectacle. Not to actually look after or get terrifying. to the kids. That's, but that's just terrifying. Uh it's a church. They get the tax breaks for that to look after and provide uh, assistance to the community. And, and if that's the youth outreach and you're going to set up obstacle courses that are dangerous to make competitive masculinity, is it? What is the? I mean, yeah, yeah it is. It's very, it's very hyper masculine. You know, there's and erotic at the same time. It's, fa yeah. it's fabulous. Yeah, yeah, it's hyper masculine, homoerotic, but then also like aggressively heteronormative so mm. you know like phil dooley used to love the leap i don't know if you've heard about the leap no um, but the leap was like they oh, yeah. they'd partner up girls and boys that. in the crowd and then they'd play was it uh don't want to close my eyes don't want to fall asleep that one i don't know who wrote Aerosmith. Aerosmith. Yes. Don't want to miss the thing. That's terrible. Yeah, that's yeah. terrible. How did mm. I know? Oh, that's bad. Mm. Um, but yeah, they they play Aerosmith. But you know, once they get to the big expansive moment in the song, the girls then run and jump into the arms of the boys. Ew. And everybody cheers. And Ew. it was called the leap. They and were they... still doing this when I came. Like it for the eight the, the eighteen to twenty fives youth group. Ew. You'll find heaps of videos of it online. Like it's all over YouTube. It was a it was a crowd favorite, and it was a way of like people were unwilling. Like a lot of the people yeah. that did it did not want to be doing awkward. it. Awkward, really awkward. It's super awkward and really tacky. <laughs> but What's you know, it's got a What's he overseeing? What was he directing that Phil? I just um. Yeah, he we'll was the, head of the youth ministry. I mean, we'll cut this, but. I mean, yeah, what goes on behind closed doors? You know, like. That was like I spent a, a New Year's Eve with the United boys accidentally once. They were just they just so happened to be in the same place I was, and I knew somebody who was hanging with them, so I ended up there. But I remember being totally shocked because they were all absolutely like they were drunk off their faces, like you know. And I 
I was very much like, oh, I thought I had to be really, really good <laughs> in order to like. Yeah, I wonder if that's, so that's what I wonder happened. So then you get led into a party like that. They find out how you respond because some people have been disgusted and I can't go back and some people will report on them and do you know what I mean? And then mm. I don't, is that how you get led into the well, I mean, that, report, I was having a bad night that night because, like, I'd, I'd smashed my glasses and I was I was blind. So I, like, turned up and they were, like, really drunk and it was hazy and, like, dark. And I hung out with them for a bit. But the whole time I was just like, I can't see anything. This is terrible. <laughs> but I just All I remember from that night is not being able to see anything but knowing I was hanging with the Hillsong boys and also they were very drunk. And I was, like, feeling mm. quite awkward about it. But, you know, these days I'm like, oh, whatever, like, they can be drunk. Like, I don't care. But it's more the the image that's presented. Because they're like, lying again. They're lying. Like, it's just a big yeah. fat lie. I mean, I'm more like, if you if you ever have any, like, you know, group chats about things and you want somebody to join in the chats at any point, I love coming in and having a chat with, you know, other people too. But, you know. Um, oh, I say it on this thing. I thought you meant on, like, WhatsApp or something. <laughs> I was like, okay. No, no, I was thinking more like, you know, you know, <laughs> if you need people to chat with about other things. I get you. Yeah. You know, just trying to think if you want to keep talking about things in a in a way that doesn't turn this into like a, you know, too too long of an episode. I guess it's gonna be it's gonna have to be a couple of episodes, right? The music's massive, so I think it's not a problem. Like it's <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, I, yeah, I'm always happy to keep talking about stuff. Let's find a way we'll say, like, goodbye for now or something and we'll pick it up soon. Yeah, yeah. Uh, good night. Good night. Good night. Thank you, thank you to Kat and Scott for all the time that they've put into this. That interview was recorded uh, one evening after work and they've just been so kind with their time. I want to get... Um, I want to get a couple of things clear. I contacted a member of the police force in Australia who has been helping and supporting me with advice and information. And they uh, said to me, nudie runs would be considered grooming by all means. It's also offensive conduct under New South Wales law. In New South Wales, offensive conduct is a criminal offence that involves behaving in a way that is likely to cause a reasonable person to be affronted or insulted. The offence is under Section 4 of the Summary Offences Act 1988. Offensive conduct can be in many forms, such as using abusive language, making obscene gestures or engaging in behaviour that is overtly sexual or violent in nature. So if there were a complaint, the adult could be charged. Uh, the officer then went on to say, in my mind, it would be it would constitute grooming. They're only 14, so exposing them to a full-grown male's a genitalia would certainly be grooming. What other context would he have to do that? I guess the question you would ask is, why would a fully-grown man do it, and what does he have to gain? So certainly in my mind, it's grooming behaviour. There'd be all sorts of questions in my mind about all kinds of duty of, care, duty of care and funding requirements that have been breached in this case. And this must be just so many more cases. What an incredible environment.
until this week, there's only only 400 college students left in the world now, no longer are there thousands. So, you know, hopefully there's thousands less abuse cases going on because that's pretty much all it is. Thank you so much to Scott M. Cat for for sharing such a range of experiences. I have not wanted to say goodbye to them, so I'm going to hang on to them for music questions. And, uh, you know, these experiences of growing up in Hillsong and, you know, being involved in so many parts of that machine, it's been really, really illuminating. Thank you so much to all of you for sticking around, for hanging in there, for supporting this mission for so long we've got some fun stuff coming up with a Vanity Fair docu-series uh, arriving on May 19th in quote make the trailer but apparently there's a bit of me through there so you know team leaving your song here we are yay as always thank you so much for your support your messages your insights into this really strange universe we keep poking around in it's been so so good to hear from you and just to see people's responses to everything that's going on is just so fascinating please stay tuned on the social medias send through your ideas and suggestions and feedback and please be my guest if you wish to come share your story like I said there's never any pressure it's such a weird tightrope to walk because like talk please come talk but please don't talk if you don't want to uh, but yeah send those messages be kind to yourself do what's right for you had some beautiful conversations with people still involved right inside the building still who are looking around outside or are settling in to support it's so interesting the range of perspectives i just think it's funny because like for me leaving is like you're doing something by not doing something so you just stay home it seems quite simple but there's uh quite a lot involved in leaving hillsong so we're going to be kind to people around us as we learn and keep being kind to ourselves it's that little bit easier to take the next person's experiences on board but we're all going to keep leaving your song and we'll talk soon bye If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.